Hello again, this is Rabbi Jeff Sachs of Etid and Web Yeshiva coming to you with another episode of our Jewish Educators Book Club. I'm coming to you live from England, jolly old England, where I'm participating in the Limud Conference, a fabulous, fabulous program, nearly 3,000 Jews from all over England and all over the world who come to study Judaism and Torah. Uh, every year at the end of December here in uh, here in England. And I'm sitting with my friend Rabbi Michael Harris, uh, who is the rabbi of the Hampstead Synagogue in London. He's a faculty member at uh, the London School of Jewish Studies and also a lecturer on the Divinity Faculty at uh, the storied Cambridge University. And he has just issued a new book, Faith Without Fear, Unresolved Issues in Modern Orthodoxy, published by Valentine Mitchell, and available on Amazon.com, and where fine Jewish books are sold. Michael, in the introduction to the to the book, which is a collection of six different essays that tie very nicely and neatly together about different challenges that modern orthodoxy is facing, you describe yourself as an academically informed rabbi. The book itself is not a work of academic scholarship properly with a capital A and a capital S. Why don't you describe to me how you see the role of an academically informed rabbi in today's world, in in England today, in the rabbinate? Um, First of all, thanks very much for having me, Jeff, on the the blog. It's a privilege to be here and great to be here at Limud with you. Um, I think the role of uh, an academically informed rabbi is... Uh, to try and teach Torah, which is, of course, the first and most important task of any rabbi, um, but uh, to uh, use one's interest in Jewish scholarship um, and in broader scholarship to uh, try and uh, give people an opening to parts of that literature and those traditions with which they might not be familiar. Um, And so uh, the book attempts to... Um, while it's not a work of original academic scholarship, as you quite rightly said, um, it's not. Although there are many makorot, traditional makorot there, Tanakh, Gemara, and Poskim, and so on, um, I also try to open the debate up to sources of contemporary Jewish scholarship um, in the academic world, which I think uh, really enriches the debate. Yeah. Well, it actually it does read like a um, like a, a very well informed, recommended reading list in the sense that on any one of these topics, for example, uh, biblical criticism or uh, women, the role of women in orthodoxy today, uh, the reader will encounter the the best that's been thought and said by religiously minded uh, academics and writers and thinkers and and philosophers. And uh, if they want to go further, you've laid out the, the map for them of what the serious writers and thinkers are who they are and uh, and how to get there. So I think that alone is uh, is a valuable uh, valuable contribution to your to your readers. Thank you. Um, the the topics that are covered in the in the chapters after a kind of uh, short methodological introduction are the tension, the relationship between modern orthodoxy and Haredi Judaism, and to a certain degree, that first topic. Uh, is a shadow over all of the book, how we define ourselves as people of faith, as thinking religious individuals, uh, in the the felicitous phrase of of my teacher, uh, Shalom Karmi, whose uh, writings, of course, appear frequently in the the work, um, how we identify ourselves as thinking religious individuals as compared to our brothers and 
and friends in the in the Haredi in the Haredi world. The next chapter is, as I mentioned, the role of women in Judaism. The third chapter is quite interesting. It deals with Kabbalah, with Jewish mysticism, and the kind of neo mysticism, neo Hasidut, that we uh, we are witnessing in our generation. Uh, very much so, I think in 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 Israel, I was interested to hear that it's a phenomena here in uh, in England as well. I'll come back to that in a moment. The fourth chapter is about uh, the divinity of the Torah text, academic Bible scholarship. The fifth chapter is about uh, assumptions and beliefs regarding the Messianic era. And then finally, a general discussion of religious pluralism. How do we maintain belief in our own uniqueness, our own chosenness, in light of certain contemporary notions of pluralism. So the, these topics, in the introduction, you also candidly mention the topics that you haven't addressed, either because yeah. they are already settled law, settled issues, uh, although I, we could quibble about uh, the degree to which they are, they, sure. are, they are not. But how did these, why are these the issues that came under the umbrella for this book? Um, the answer, the short answer, Jeff, is contained in the subtitle of the book, Unresolved Issues in Modern Orthodoxy. So what I was trying to deal with in, the, in this book is a, a series of issues, which some of which are much discussed within the global modern Orthodox community, some less so, um, but on all of which um, there's no clear resolution. Um, so for a prime example of a topic which is endlessly discussed is the role of women in Jewish common and religious life. Um, but we don't, we haven't got come to a resolution of that, obviously the debates and all kinds of sub-debates within that broader, uh, with the broader parameters of the question of women's role in Jewish life is still very hot. Uh, topic very much debated um, but unresolved whereas and there were other issues I felt like uh, mysticism uh, which tend to be overlooked in modern orthodox discourse um, and which are unresolved perhaps largely because we haven't worked through them and I wanted to, to at least uh, try and contribute something to beginning a discussion of those areas as well. So, so let me come back to that question that topic mysticism, which I mentioned was the one thing that uh, if you'd asked me to point to the variety of topics that might be in a book like this, I probably would have come up with 90% of them on my own. That one uh, surprised me, uh, not unpleasantly, but it surprised me. How do you see this issue of mysticism in the contemporary world? Uh, we are, of course, heirs to the great rationalists, but yet we yeah. see this flowering of, of interest in Jewish mysticism, be it of the Kabbalah variety or they're different phenomena, but they're often grouped together, the kind of neo-spiritual, uh, you know, not to be confused with New Age, the yeah. neo-spiritual. In Israel, we have this slogan, Chabakuk, uh, which is an abbreviation for Chabad, Breslov, uh, Kuk, Rav Kuk, and Karlibach, you know, kind of provides the soundtrack to the movement. Um, it's obviously an oversimplification, but you know, these Yeshivot and even Yeshuvim of religious Jews who are involved in a kind of service yeah. of God that looks and tastes a lot different than uh, that many of us are, are used to or we're exposed to in our yeshivot and our schools and our synagogues. Where do you see this coming from and how, how is it playing out in England uh, in, in, in unique ways? Um, I must say that I really, to the extent that I focus on uh, Chavakuk and uh, groups like that, it's really by focusing on on some of the textual roots in the Kabbalah, um, I, it's actually not a phenomenon that I deal with head-on, and something which I would need oh, to, the general to return pull to. to the general pull to mysticism, yeah, is is uh, something that uh, um, we 
don't see a great deal of on the British Jewish scene, although there are uh, there are some manifestations of it among younger people. I, I, globally, um, I think the phenomenon reflects um, something akin to the roots of the Hasidic movement, a desire to get away from an over-intellectualised Jewish experience and um, to open ourselves up to the emotional um, dimensions um, and perhaps also uh, an emphasis um, on individualism as opposed to just the collective. So, uh, you know, I understand in, in the dances and some of the yeshivot and yeshivim that you mentioned, uh, rather than everyone dancing in a big circle, which was my experience mm -hmm. in, in right. yeshivagal in the 80s and right. 90s, uh, now everyone does their the own dance. Yeah. yeah, and um, so I think there, there is a, a you know, in, in many ways a healthy corrective to kind of over intellectualization or over over rationalization, over and over and over, over collective. collective. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's an irony at play here because to whatever degree this movement is aligned with interest in the writings of Rav Cook. Um, Rav Cook, of course, did set the groundwork for what became this kind of great collectivist movement in in Jewish life, and now from within a group that uh, puts Rav Cook very much at its center, there's now a, a kind of movement in the other direction. So, Jewish life is not uh, it's not without its ironies. Yeah. Um, the uh, the issue of academic biblical studies, which is not synonymous with biblical criticism with a capital B, with a capital C, higher criticism, which calls into question the divine authorship of the Torah, which is obviously much more problematic than other sections of Navi and Ketuvim. Um, how do you see this issue as unresolved, as a challenge to contemporary Jewish life and learning and education? Uh, I see the issue as, as unresolved because I feel that there was a real reluctance to uh, deal with the issue um, until relatively recently. Um, so I think until relatively, so you, you mentioned Rabbi Shalom Kami earlier, he has a wonderful collection called Modern Scholarship in the Study of the Torah, one of the Orthodox well, Forum works. Um, but there's so little uh, like that out there. Um, I think with... Uh, publication of James Kugel's book How to Read the Bible and the whole furore around the issue of Torah Minashamayim in Shivat Chavavei Torah and open orthodox circles. I think that's brought the issue much more to the fore and bringing of the issue to the fore is something I welcome. I think it's something that we really need to deal with. You know, our kids are going off to university, they're encountering all these ideas uh, for our, any intelligent Jew anywhere. The conclusions of the most problematic kinds of academic biblical scholarship are available uh, at the click of, uh, of Google. Um, and we need to have a, we need to start a discussion on how to deal with these challenges from um, a traditional perspective. Uh -huh. One of the things you kind of uh, lead to in the chapter is discussion of the literary method of studying Tanakh, which also has become very popular in the last uh, decade or two, uh, championed maybe by the Beit Midrash and the Machon at Yeshivat Haaretzion in the Gush, uh, which popularized it and gave it some legitimacy and of course executed quite skillfully by a whole variety of writers and uh, and teachers uh, that will be familiar to our, our listeners. Uh, do you find that to be something, your congregants, your students, do you find that something to be uh, compelling as a form of 
Torah literature or as a mode of Torah teaching? And do you find that it, it provides a kind of, be careful to use the word antidote, but uh, defense against the dark arts of, of, uh, of uh, biblical criticism and the slew of questions that come in its wake? I find to an extent it, it does. Um, it's, I think it's intensely valuable to look at the Torah's literature and, and engage with the, with the writers and schools of thought um, that you allude to. Um, but I think that it's not enough. I think that we need to face the challenges of, uh, the, of the, the quote unquote dark arts of biblical criticism more directly as well. Um, because people are going to encounter those questions, uh, the challenges are real, and I think we need to we need to encounter them too. To a certain degree, the, the work is, well, I wouldn't say polemical. It is in dialogue with people, maybe even your colleagues, who are on the right, ideologically, um, and in that way, it's dealing with unresolved issues in modern orthodoxy, but it's also a defense of modern orthodoxy, uh, the integrity of our movement and of our worldview. Um, was that a deliberate, uh, something you deliberately set out to do when writing the book, or when the book was done, it kind of had come out that way? And, uh, yeah, that's a great question. No, I, I try to set out to um, write something that would uh, be some kind of manifesto, uh, not a comprehensive manifesto, um, but uh, some kind of, of um, not just a, a dispassionate objective um, work, but something which where the, the heart was involved as well, and it was uh, to some extent a defence of modern orthodox positions, at least on these issues, and, and also trying to be a defence of the whole uh, modern orthodox mindset and orientation. How do you assess the general state of modern orthodoxy in England? Uh, you know, compared to compared to those of us in Israel, where the whole nature of modern orthodoxy and what we call the Dati Lumi world has a whole array of different issues, uh, and then of course compared to the mothership of modern orthodoxy, which I'll call the United States. Yeah, uh, I think I'm. How are the challenges different in each place? How are the opportunities different in each place? Um, I think undoubtedly um, modern orthodoxy in the UK is smaller, that's obvious, uh, far fewer Jews. Um, it is um, weaker because we lack the institutional bases uh, for it. Um, we lack the ideologues so that you have in Israel and in North America. Um, but I think that... The institutional bases, you mean... Yeshiva, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. I mean, we we have. Uh, I mean, perhaps the closest equivalent we have to Yeshiva University is, is LSJS, London School of Jerusalem, which is is a great place, but just so much so much smaller um, and uh, no longer directly training rabbis, which of course, which is something that that uh, of course why used done for so long and so effectively. Um, so uh, I think the the challenge that we face in in Britain is. Um, I think in, uh, of being proudly modern orthodox while um, working, being prepared to work perhaps um, much more closely with the Haredi world than 
uh, modern Orthodox Jews in America or Israel again just because, because of the small boat. Because of small boat, we have. I went to a uh, when I go to a rabbinic conference in Britain. There are about sixty rabbis there. Uh, that's the uh, out of say uh, I don't know 100, 200 rabbis maximum Orthodox rabbis, um, and it's lovely to see black hats and kippot got and velvet kippot etc all together and I think there's great strength in that uh, the danger of course is that one loses one's one of thought's identity um, and I think we have to um, be very insistent about the, our identity about the legitimacy of that identity um, but at the same time um, show a willingness in the environment we're in with small numbers to to work together after all there is more than unites us than divides us uh, we are now recording this conversation at the end of December 2015, which has been a very interesting year uh, in the larger modern Orthodox world around no issue, issue less important than the role of women. Um, it's sometimes remarkable to me the degree that, uh, that this issue in different ways has occupied the Jewish world, uh, the Torah world. In the United States, one has a sense that this is a debate which is going on between old-fashioned centrist modern orthodoxy and what's considered its liberal left flank. And the Haredic world is looking on either with laughter or <laughs> with sorrow, uh, it's hard to tell. Um, but here, uh, one senses that the advocates of a vibrant modern orthodoxy are, are still very much in dialogue and, and trying to, to claim a, a, a legitimacy opposite the Haredi world. And that's what I said by way of opening, sure. that, that the, the book is a certain type of dialogue with the Haredi world. You, of course, are a, a, well-known, um, a well-known advocate of a kind of kind of uh, modern orthodoxy as an ideal um, through your teaching, through your writing, through your leadership here. Uh, do you feel it's a Sisyphean task? You're constantly rolling that rock of synthesis up the hill only to have it pushed back by, uh, by your right-wing colleagues? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't. I don't feel it's a hopeless task. Um, I'm really given strength by um, the first of all by uh, some like-minded colleagues. I've always been like-minded colleagues in the British rabbinate. and maybe in a minority, but they're there. Um, also, um, you know, one has to uh, try and be open as well to listen, listening to the views of colleagues to the right, who often are. Um, surprisingly open in different ways um, but I'm given great strength as well by uh, people in the community in the wider British community lay people um, who've got a thirst for learning uh, who have an incredible instinct I was find Ami Israel has an incredible instinct for the best way to take the Torah forward and um, they uh, I think they give us a lot of strength um, and they are you know for those for whom the Haredi lifestyle and values and institutions uh, work, that's fine. Um, but they are never going to work for uh, a very large, maybe a minority, but it's a, a, a large minority of British Orthodox Jews. Um, and there, need, there has to be modern orthodoxy 
um, for for them. In a way, the most frustrating group, and neither the, uh, those who are sympathetic to modern orthodoxy nor those who are Haredi, it's those who are ideologically unaware. And if and if that perhaps is the most frustrating battle to swap, try and switch the community on more generally to ideological issues, communities would appoint a rabbi who doesn't celebrate Yom Hatzmaut, and when only when Yom, when Heiya comes around um, do they realise what they've done because they're just not ideologically switched on. And one aim of the book is to uh, bring those issues to the fore. Uh, so that, that brings me maybe to one of my final questions. Uh, in the introduction, you, you say you're dealing with these unresolved issues, as you've defined for us now, uh, and you're not going to touch the slew of uh, things that are central to modern Orthodox ideology, but yet which are settled issues. And you list Zionism, secular studies, evolution, including the age of the universe, uh, and general modern scientific knowledge. In what way are those resolved issues? What ways? Uh... So I would say that um, Zionism uh, and the state of Israel resolves issues in that a positive orientation. Although, of course, there are uh, continue to be huge debates um, over ha uh, halakhic and hashkafic dimensions of land for peace and so on and so forth. The general orient positive orientation towards Zionism and Midian Israel, I think, is unquestioned in the in the modern Orthodox community. I think that's just a defining characteristic. Um, Similarly, in terms of secular studies... And yet it's, it would just be bad planning to hire a rabbi who's <laughs> at best neutral. At best Zionism. neutral. That, that's just yeah, something that someone suspects could only happen in the UK. Um, where well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> okay. This is just an example of not being careful to yeah. align your values with your implementation. Right, right. Or not being aware enough of the values. Huh. Um not being aware enough of the values, uh, perhaps, or to... Uh, Which might be a sign that the value, the issue, is not sufficiently resolved. So, right, could be, uh, could be. Um, and on, on evolution and the age of the universe, uh, I, I may, my, my feeling is that um, most thoughtful modern Orthodox Jews have no doubt that the world is older than 5,766 years, uh, and have no doubt uh, about the truth of the theory of evolution in some form, and no and doubt not... at all that, that that can be reconciled right. with their emuna. That's the issue. Yeah. That's the main. Uh, no. And I think those we need to move beyond those debates yeah. now onto yeah. onto other things. Yeah. Well, it's a very interesting read, "Faith Without Fear: Unresolved Issues in Modern Orthodoxy," put out by Valentine Mitchell, uh, available where all fine Jewish books are sold, but principally on Amazon, where all books are sold. And uh, thank you, Michael. For your work. Thank you for showing us the value of keeping academically informed rabbis around our tables because they can provide very, very good teaching to those of us that are concerned with these issues. Thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah.